Hey everyone, it's Pastor Jacob. Hope this message gives you encouragement, perspective, and revelation from God to give to others. Also, don't forget to follow us on our Instagram page, Fusion Student Media, and also follow me on Instagram, at Jacob underscore Malasa underscore. We hope you enjoyed the message. This message was last minute, and I'm going to explain this in just a quick second. So, Monday, I had a message completely prepared for this week. This, I knew what week three was going to be, right? But then, as I was preparing, it was fully prepared, it was fully done. I was ready to preach it. Turn me up a little bit. I feel so quiet over these loud mouth tickets. I'm joking. Turn it up. That's the highest it can go. Test. A little bit lower. Ah. Ah. Hold on. James was teaching me something. Ah. Is it better? Not too sensitive. I don't want it to. Wait, wait, wait. Let's see if the wind catches it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so I was making the message Monday, and I had it completely done. I was ready to go. And then the Lord was like, no, I don't want you to preach that message. And I was like, dude, I just prepared this whole message. I want to preach it. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit lower, sorry. Lower my mic. <laughs> I'm very picky when it comes to my volume. I like being loud, but sometimes it's too much. But... um. But I was like, dude, like, Lord, you, like, I don't know how y'all talk to God, but I talk to God like he's a homie. I'm like, bro, I wanted to make this message like this is the message I wanted. And, and he was saying, well, no, that's not the message I want you to preach. And I said, why? And he said, and he said, there's specific students that need to hear this message and you know who it is. I was like, I was like, okay. I was like, are we spying? God, are you spying on our students or something? But but he but he said there's specific people in here who are dealing with certain stuff and he told me use this passage use the scripture and make it like a little Bible study. Last week I I did like points and stuff like that, but this week I'm just doing a whole. I'm I'm gonna be the narrator tonight. I'm gonna narrate. Uh, I'm a, y'all want me to talk like Morgan Freeman? Well, in John chapter eleven, I'm not doing. In John chapter eleven, verse five. No, I don't. Shut up. <laughs> Be quiet. No, anyways, um, so so this story, I've always had this scripture jotted down. I always had it, but I never preached it. And I think this message might be the most impactful for some of y'all throughout this series because, because some of us some of us have lost something in our life. We've we've all lost something. Whether it's like, like, let's 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 be literal. Like, maybe you lost a family member, or you or you lost someone that you had to go to the funeral and stuff like that, and that and it's tragic. Maybe it's something emotionally. Maybe you lost some emotional parts of yourself, and you feel like you're numb to certain things, or you feel mentally lost, and you feel like your mind is in a thousand places, and and it's not just and it's all that above. But I want to talk about events that you've been through where you've lost something. Maybe. I mean, I don't want to get too deep with this, but 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 maybe it's something that it wasn't your fault and it happened. You didn't ask for this. You didn't ask for that to happen in, to you, but it happened. That type of stuff, what you've lost in your life. It could be anything. It could be something so traumatic. It could be something that seems little to other people and big to you. We've all lost something in our life. And I want to do this in John chapter 11, and it's the story of Lazarus. And this, this, for some of you who grew up in church, you know the story of Lazarus. 
But I want to start in verse 1 through 6. I want to start with that. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Mary, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now when you hear when some when you hear someone loves you, you think they're coming to your aid. They're they're gonna be there. Like if you're in trouble, hey, they're like, Jesus, the one you love is sick, like he's dying out here, and I need you. And Jesus knew that he was sick. And actually, matter of fact, Jesus knew he was going to die. But he stayed where he was two more days. That rocked my world when I read it like that, because we always think that Jesus is going to be at the moment that when we really need him. But the question I want to pop in your head is, what happens when you ask God for help and you called out his name in your pain and he didn't show up? What do you do? When you ask God, Lord, Lazarus is dying, I need your help to heal him. And he shows up two days later after Lazarus dies. What do you do? Oh, I'm going to trust in the Lord, Pastor Jakey. I'm going to trust in the Lord God Almighty with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, okay, Sherlock, I get that. But, but, But Jesus said it wouldn't end in death. He sent the messenger back to Martha and Mary and told them, the one you, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to heal him. I'm going to, this is not going to end in death. And guess what? Lazarus dies. So Martha and Mary are in a situation where they have lost something and they called on God for help and he didn't show up. Week one, I talked about the king's love. I talked about the love of God. Week two, I talked about the king's peace. And for week three, I want to talk about the king's power. The king's power. I want to talk about love languages for a second. I know that's so off-key of what I was just talking about, but I want to talk about love languages. I was thinking about it the other day. Everybody knows what a love language is, right? Okay. Then I'll explain it to you. So what a love language is, I kind of put it this way. Like, like language is obviously like, like what someone speaks, like an interpretation of, a, of, of something. That's a language. So love language is you interpreting something out of love or or. What you, what you want people to do unto you, that's, that's, your, that's, your lo- that's how you think people love you or you love people. So like my two major ones are number one is physical touch and number two is quality time. So, I, so number one, I want a hug from you. And number two, I'm, I, I love one-on-one conversation. I think what's helped me with counseling is I'll, I'm okay with being one-on-one. Some people are not. Some people are better in crowds. They cannot do one-on-one whatsoever. It's awkward. It makes them uncomfortable. For me, I'm, I'm fine with it, but I can also be in a crowd. So I was thinking about love languages the other day, and, and I thought of this. I thought, what would be God's love language? I thought about that yesterday, and I was so confused on, on how I was going to, because I've, I've studied the Bible for a couple of years now. I've studied it a little bit before I went to Bible college, and then when we went to Bible college, 
when I went to Bible college, I studied it a lot. And there, I think God, in ways, has different love languages, in a sense. Like, for example, God loves it when you, when you serve others. He, he loves that. He loves it when you serve other people. He loves to see you have a servant's heart. Another one is he loves it when you obey his word. That's a big one for him. He loves it when you obey his word. But I think throughout all scripture, and I've heard other pastors talk about it, and even just listening to uh, regular pastors, theologians, all these other people after studying it, I can honestly tell you that I think that God's biggest love language is trust. I truly believe that trusting in the Lord is his most ultimate love language. Like, I think he, he would rather, and it sounds bad, I shouldn't say this, but like, I think he would rather you trust him more than anything else in what he tells you. You could worship him, you can, you can read his word, you can pray like 20 times a day and be on a streak. But, but I truly believe that trusting God, that's his biggest love language. And as I've seen it through each Bible character, I've noticed that God loves it when his people trust him. He loves it. Now, with this scenario, if right now I think Jesus is teaching Martha and Mary to trust him. Because, spoiler alert, he does resurrect Lazarus. He does resurrect him from the grave, whatever. It's a great story. But Martha and Mary don't know that. We're still in John chapter 11, verse 6. They don't know that Jesus is going to resurrect Lazarus because... He said it wouldn't end in death, but now Lazarus is dead. Now he's dead. So what does that mean for for Martha and Mary? One of the things we need to stop doing in our life is neglecting how we need to process grief. We need to stop doing that. Some of us process it very differently, but uh, most of us are usually taught to stuff. We are taught to stuff our feelings, we're taught to stuff our grief, we're taught to stuff everything. And the issue is, is that when we stuff it, it becomes a problem because now we can't, I'm going to say it like this, just as it is, is as bad doing drugs, drinking, all this stuff, as all this stuff we look as bad, what's just as worse is playing church. It sounds dumb, right? It sounds stupid. But I want you to know this. You can, the, the thing that's dangerous about playing church is that you can raise your hands and say God's a good, good father, but be dying on the inside in your faith and thinking, well, he hasn't done anything for me lately. He hasn't done nothing for me lately. I haven't seen anything. And I'm being honest because a lot of us want to be like, well, no, 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 you sound a little selfish. You think Martha and Mary were trying to act selfish now that they just lost Lazarus. He's dead. And Jesus promised that he would resurrect him. Not just resurrect him, he said he wouldn't go in death. So they thought, oh, he's going to heal him before he dies. And then he dies. What do you do when you lose something and you knew God could prevent it, but he didn't? What do you do when you called on God, when you were in your lowest, and he did not answer? Because everyone loves to talk about the outcome of of the resurrection, but nobody wants to talk about the grief of what Martha and Mary were going through. Nobody talks about that. We talk about Lazarus come forth and he just resurrects and and he's good. But we never talk about Martha and Mary who went through four days. When When he said that he stayed two more days, when he got to the tomb, 
Lazarus was already in the tomb for four days. Think about it. Waiting four days with questions. Waiting four days with, with stuff you, you don't even understand it right now. Maybe it's not four days. Maybe it's four years that you haven't gotten an answer out of anything from God. You haven't gotten a single answer to your problem or to your trauma or to your issue. And now it's like, what do I do now? They waited four days. They waited four days and Jesus wasn't there. What do you do? What do you do when you lose something that you knew in your heart God would prevent? I'm going to keep reading from verse 7. It's really hot, the microphone. Thank you, James. Verse 7. And then he said to the disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, the short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and, and yet you are going back. Jesus answered, they are, not 12, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Now I'm like, okay, Jesus, what does that mean? What does that actually mean? And what I realized when the disciples asked him, hey, if we go back, you're going to get stoned. I truly believe that Jesus was explaining, because I have the light, I will not stumble. Because those who stumble at night, they have no light. And that shows what is called the king's power. He has the power to finish what he started. So nobody's going to kill him. Jesus is not going to die with a stone. He's going to fulfill his purpose, die on the cross, and forgive us of our sin. That's what he's going to do. But the disciples were so focused. And that's the thing. Jesus has been predicting his death for chapters on end. This is just one of the gospels. Even in the beginning, there were short periods of time where Jesus was like, hey, I'm going to die, but three days I'll rise again. The disciples, it went over their head. And they thought he was going to die by getting stoned, but they should have known that they were serving a king who has power, who has a mighty power that will not die. Where was I at? Verse 10. No, 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 I'm sorry, verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake them up. And I thought this was hilarious. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And I thought, I'm like, do they really think he's talking about sleep? Really? He's talking about death. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about he's dead. But the funny thing is, is that he was predicting Lazarus' death the whole time. But the problem was, was that he was talking in a deeper level than what the disciples had heard. So this is what he had to do. Verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Just told them plainly. Because sometimes in our life, we are so focused on literacy that we're not focused on the spiritual stuff, the spiritual component that God's trying to speak to you. Because you think everything has to be right in front of your face for God to speak to you. We need, we need a sign from heaven. In all reality, all I need to do is listen to the small voice that God is speaking so that I can obey it, but we're so used of the literal part. That's what we're expecting. That's what church's expectations are, big. But what if God is showing you something through something so small that nobody else can see it but you? What about that? What about something not as big as you think it is, but something that's small? 
verse 15, and for your sake, I'm glad he is not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So this is encouraging, right? Jesus is telling him, I'm going to wake him up. I'm going to wake him up. He's going to resurrect. It's all encouraging. But here's the bad news. Martha and Mary don't know that. They are still waiting four days without a single answer from Jesus because all they heard him say was, this will not go in death. But he died. And then you got the well-meaning Christians that are trying to comfort Martha and Mary. He's like, no, no, God has a plan. God has a plan. Listen, I don't want to hear about God's plan when I saw someone die in front of me. I don't want to hear about God's plan when my heart was stripped from me and they left me when I thought the relationship was good. They left. I'm not worried about that. I have pain right now. And this is what we do. This is what we do. And us, and if you're a well-meaning Christian, I love you, but sometimes we need to stop talking. Sometimes we need to stop talking and listen to someone because guess what? They're in pain. Yes, God is good, but Lazarus is dead. Yes, God's good, but I lost a friendship relationship. Uh, God is good, but I lost a family member. What do you tell me then when I lose something and now I got to just say God's good? That's what I have to, that's my first default. I bet y'all, none of y'all would say God is good in that first default. If you do, you're just putting on a show because everyone in here has lost something and you have not gone to the point of God's good. Oh, God was going to do something. No, 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 no. He promised. God promised. Jesus, as a matter of fact, promised Martha and Mary, this will not end in death. Yet he still died. What do you say to that? What do you say to that situation? What are you supposed to tell me? That Lazarus is dead. I'm supposed to just trust God now, all of a sudden? And I'm also saying it like this because I want you to understand that it's okay to think like this sometimes. God gives you the grace and the space to think this way. Because why? Because if we think so positively, we will stuff, like I said in the beginning, stuff everything. We will stuff any type of of, of emotional upheaval and not deal with it. Rather than deal with it, we stuff it and then we just say all glory to the most high. This is what we do. But I want to show you this. Jesus is about to show up with his disciples to Bethany. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found out that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. So I studied this and it said, that in for the Judy for the Jewish people, they believed that within three days that the man died, that his spirit would return to his body. But it was the fourth day. Obviously, God's about to show his work. But but it was only four days. But God was about to show something so magnificent. But now Bethany, verse 18, now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss for their brother. All people can do when you're in a situation of trauma and a situation of pain, all people can do for you is comfort you. They cannot fix, they cannot fix your broken heart. They cannot fix your habits. They cannot fix anything. If you think they do, you will be majorly disappointed. It's not that people are bad. They're not God. People aren't bad. They're not Christ. People aren't bad. They're just not the one who made you. So why would I run to something that didn't make me? 
Why would I run to something that didn't manufacture me by hand in my mother's womb? Why would I go to something that doesn't know me by the count of the hairs on my head, knows me by my real name, child of God? Why would I go to other people when my father has created me? So Martha and Mary knew that they were getting comforted, but it wasn't enough. I could tell by this next verse. I could tell by this next verse. Verse, I lost my spot. Verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Now, I want to get into this segment. There's two different types of people when they process grief. There's one that's an internal processor, and there's someone that's external. If you don't know what that lingo means, some people process grief on the inside by themselves, and some people are like, man, I'm going to tell you about it. I'm going to tell you about you. Does anybody know people like that that just, they just, they say everything that's on their noggin and they're just like, and they're just like, duh, 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 duh. and that's not bad. That's not bad at all. But it's who you tell it to. It's who you tell it to. Be careful who you tell your pain to. And I'm going to tell you why. Number one, the well-meaning Christians. You have to be very careful. It's a certain type of people that aren't just going to give you spiritual lingos to bypass your pain so they have nothing to do with you. They're, what they're going to do, the real Christ-like people are going to walk you through it, and they're going to sit with you. Because guess what God does? God doesn't just shove encouragement down your throat. What God does, Scripture says that he is close to the brokenhearted, and he is with those who are crushed in spirit. That's who God is. That's not what uh, us believers should be is the shoving down encouragement. We are to sit with people that are in pain because Jesus did the exact same thing. And I'm going to get to that in a moment because Jesus does something so significant that I think, and we all know the scripture about him weeping, but I'm going to get to that in a little bit. But but he he sits with the brokenhearted. And Martha, Mary, Mary's, Mary's like me. I'm internal processing. I'm not going to I'm not going to throw out my pain. I just feel like in my natural internal thinking, I think it's just I'll feel embarrassed. I'll feel so out of place. I'll feel too vulnerable. Somebody could use it against me. I don't like throwing out my pain, so I keep it with me. But the issue about keeping it with me, just just as it is bad to tell everybody about your pain, so it is to store it inside to where nobody can help you. That's just as worse as expressing it to everybody else. It's just as bad. Now that you explained all your, all your business, now Samantha's going to tell Gypsy. Now, she, now Gypsy's going to tell Bartholomew. And they're going to continue to express it because it's not a safe place to talk about your pain. Now when it comes to internal processing, that's another issue. The biggest mistakes I've ever made in my life when I was in pain was I kept it hidden. That's the worst thing you could do. Why? Because nobody, because once it's stuffed down enough, nobody will ever, will never able to hear you scream anymore for help. Because it's so stuffed down, you don't know how to bring it back up because you're afraid of what people think. You're afraid of what people will say about it. So you just, you have to be careful how you process your pain. Don't stuff it. If you trust certain people, talk to them about it. Especially Christ-like people. Let, let me rephrase myself. Do not go to Christian people. Go to Christ-like people. Don't go to, we give, sometimes Christianity gets a bad rep because we're so, we get so ignorant 
on what we're supposed to say and what we're, we, we don't, we don't, we don't discern what we say anymore when it comes to people's pain. So we just say whatever. And then, and then it's like, and it's like, oh, well, well, no, God's got a plan. God's got a purpose on. And they give you that little pep talk. But what good is that going to do you if they're only giving you a pep talk and you're not going to your God for healing? How does that even work? Because people can only do so much. They can only do so much. But we are so keen on going to people and thinking that they fulfill something so good within us that we just, we grab on towards it. But I'm telling you right now, only the one who manufactured you in his house can really set you free from the damage that you have. He's the only one that can do it. Nobody else can. Look, counseling's great. I do that a little bit. I go to a, a, a small little counselor. I have these things, but they're not my main source. They actually teach me to go to Christ about it. They, I tell them about stuff, but they're like, you know, tell God about it. Because sometimes it's better to go to your father rather than just go, to, sorry, my throat's dry, to other people. I'm talking way too much. <laughs> so, verse 21 I want you to hear this in your own voice, what Martha's about to say to Jesus. Because right now, Jesus is at the gate. That's where he's at right now. He didn't, the context of, actually, hold on, let me see. The context of, of Mary and Martha is that before that, Jesus would go to their house. And if you know the story, Martha was in the kitchen, whipping up the food, the flick of the wrist, stir fry, whatever. They were, they were whipping up some food. And, and Mary was at the feet of Jesus worshiping him and 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 Jesus told Martha she said hey Martha there's a lot of priorities in life and Mary picked the right one it's symbolically showing us that even when life is crazy even when you can't control it you we have to go to the feet of Jesus y'all we have to go to the feet of Jesus because that's the only place that can get our mindset right that's the only place that can give me peace right that's the only place thank you Michelle appreciate it oh Okay, I almost lost my spot. The devil's a lie. <laughs> okay. Excuse me. The pastor burps, the reverend. No. So, so, what was I saying? Martha. Okay, thank you. So, I was talking about Martha and Mary. So, 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 so that's the symbolic part. So, so they, he would always go to their house to eat. Martha, and Mar Martha was all about serving Jesus. That's what she was doing. She was whipping up in the kitchen. She was cooking the food. I don't know what this is. This is probably tennis. But uh, she's whipping up the food, right? She's whipping up the food. And what happens is, is that I believe that Martha is fed up. I think Martha is fed up. And I kind of like Martha because she's bold. She's an independent woman who don't need no man. She's really, really bold in this. So she walks up to the gate as Mary is in the house processing because she, she's an internal process. I could tell by this scripture. She was in her house, but Martha went to Jesus because she's like, she's, he's about to hear from me. He's about to hear from me. Because some people are just like that. And we cannot judge people for processing stuff differently than us. Because Martha knew who to go to to process this. So he walks up. He's at the gate right now. And this is what she says in verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. I don't know if you talk to God like this, but if you 
But if you have those moments, do not hold back from God. And I'm going to tell you why. Because God is not intimidated by your weaknesses. God is not intimidated by how much you tell him. Literally, she is, If I know it's only the only text in this, but I could by far imagine how I would process it. Like, like everyone... Our, some of our first instincts are like, Lord, you finally made it. Thank God. Now you can do this. Or I'm like, where are, where were you? Where were you? Lazarus was dead. My relationship was crushed. I lost all of my friends. And now you want to show up? Now you want to show up at my gate when I cooked for you and I served you, but you didn't come when I was crying? You didn't come when I was in pain. You didn't come when I was suffering. But you want to be here now? See, we don't like talking like that. Because we think we have to put on this persona. But Martha knew that it was a safe space to go to Jesus about this. Jesus is te- The Lord is teaching some of you in here. I don't know who this is for. But some of you in here are having to learn how to deal with disappointments with God. You're having to learn to, dis- to learn disappointments because Martha is disappointed that Jesus did not, resur- did not save Lazarus from death when he told him she- he would. When she told him, when he told her he- that he would. So he's lo- she's lost everything. This is how she's feeling. You have to think sometimes that how you feel sometimes isn't the spiritual and that's okay. That's all right. That that doesn't that should not neglect you. Now, if it goes against the spirit of God, we we talk about it. But this was not going against the spirit of God. She was being honest with her creator. We need to be honest with our creator. Because we are so glued to and we think we can't go to God. Well, let Martha be the example. Let Martha be the example that you have you have permission to get rough with God. You have permission. I'm not joking. You have total 120%, however much percent, permission to get rough with God when you're going through pain. Why? Because he can take it. He can take it because he has that much grace. The king's power. The king's power. He's not just powerful enough to resurrect or heal, but he's powerful enough to take everything that you throw at him. He's that powerful. That he can, and here's the beautiful part of this. God is such a gentleman in this. And I learned this from another uh, perspective from a friend of mine. He said, you know, Jesus stayed at the gate. He didn't go into the house this time. He stayed at the gate. And Martha went up to him. And that's a picture of God's not going to go as far as we let him. But he is gentleman enough to wait for you to give him the open door. He will always open doors for you. But sometimes you have to open doors for God in your own personal life. People think, oh, God just rushes in like a, like a current, like a running wave. Yeah, if you ask, if you let him. Sometimes it's not that easy. Sometimes it's like, no, you're staying at the gate. You ain't coming any further. And that's, and I shouldn't say this, but I think I might say it. I feel a little bold. I'll say it. It's not that bad, I promise. But I think that's why people get church hurt. That's why I think people get church hurt. Because we're so used of trying to serve God, and this is not and this is not God's fault. Sometimes it's people. This is people we're talking about. I'm telling you right now, and you can agree with this if you've been churched all your life, you can tell from a real one to a fake one in a split second. 
You can tell when there's a fake one and a real one in a split second. And that's what I had to realize from this is that, is that the reason why we get church hurt is because like Martha, Martha served Christ. It's like serving in ministry in the, when I wasn't there, when, when you weren't there when I cried, but you were there when I served you. You were there when I had the food ready in my house, but you weren't there when my brother died. You got to be real with God. You got to be real with yourself because if we're not real with God, then what type of relationship do we have with him? What type of relationship do we have with our God? Because we're so used to tradition, religion. We're used to doing the same stuff over and over and over. It's the same stuff. I'm not just talking about, I'm not just talking about like, like other religions, like, like Catholicism and Baptist. People think that's just a religious traditional thing. Dude, we can make spiritual stuff traditional. We can make stuff so high up more than God. We can make spiritual stuff like, like we are so used to tradition. But Martha's breaking it right now. She's fed up. She is done with it. Because she saw someone she loved die and she knew Jesus could prevent it. She knew. She wasn't an idiot. She didn't just naively trust God. She knew with confidence that Jesus could, could, could save Lazarus. But we know the story. We know Lazarus gets raised from that. We know that. But Martha doesn't. The king's power sounds contradictory, doesn't it? But it's not because I want to show you something that Martha says in this passage. She goes, I'm telling you right now, y'all, she switched so quick from her feelings to her faith that it's not even funny. It's such a switch because this, she's not just playing as a church person. She's not just, she knows within her spirit because your faith and your feelings are two different things. Because sometimes your feelings can overtake you when your faith is sometimes the spiritual part of you, the spirit man of you. It's not sometimes the feelings of it. And I want to show you this. So verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you, had, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. This is what she says in verse 22. Here's the faith change. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. She went from how she felt to what she believed. She went to how she was feeling in the moment to what she knew who God was. In reality, as I read the text, I realized she is saying, you didn't do what I, I thought you would do, but you're still God. Even though you didn't resurrect this and you didn't heal this, you still are. Even though they walked away from me and I can't get them back, they're already gone. I can't get that relationship back. You are still God. It was the realization she was coming to was that I know you can still do it. I know you can still do this. I believe that you can. I'm not feeling it right now, but I know in my spirit, I know in my heart that you can still heal and you can do whatever God asks you to. And this is what Jesus says for the rest of this passage. He says in verse 23, your brother will, ri your brother will wise, rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And this is what Jesus says. He says, I am the resurrection. It's not what Jesus does that makes him who he is. He is that. He's not just, he doesn't just resurrect. He is the resurrection. He's not just some healer. He is the healing that we get. Because I'm going to tell you right now, 
I talked about it from the beginning. This was never about Lazarus. This was never about Lazarus. This was about Martha and Mary in this perspective. Because there's one perspective about Lazarus getting resurrected from the dead. And there's one perspective of how Martha and Mary process their disappointments. They're two different. And I want you all to know tonight that your father is always at the gate waiting for you. Because the gate represents the walls you've made with him. That's what it represents. And then the house represents your personal, in the internal part of you, the inner part of you. And this is where he's leading to. Jesus is processing this with Martha. And he says, I am the resurrection. The one, I'm still in verse 25. The one who believes in me will live, even though they will die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. And he asks us for this question that I want to ask you in your heart. Do you believe this? Ask yourself that question. Do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus can really do what he says he can do? Because it's all by, this message is all about trust and your faith. That's what it's about. It's about trusting God because trusting God takes faith. It's not just, it's not just you just automatically trusting God because guess what? Your feelings say otherwise. You're not going to automatically trust God, but it's by the spirit. It's by your heart. It's by what you hear God saying, God, I'm going to trust you. God, I'm going to trust you in this season. God, I'm going to trust you in this time. Even though you didn't do it, I know you're still God. I know you still are. After, I almost lost it. Verse 27, yes, Lord, she replied, believe, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. I want to jump all the way down to, I'm trying to remember, verse 32, try verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Oh, wait, I missed it. Go back. Ooh, I don't want to mess this up. This is really good. Hold on, hold on. I didn't mess it up yet. God is still good. Let's see. Oh, I used that. Sorry. Uh, verse 30. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but he was still at the place where Martha met him. He's still at the gate. <laughs> He's still over there because he will not go that far unless you let him. He's not going to go that far unless you let him. But we think we're just so afraid to get with God because we're afraid he's going to take He's going to take all this stuff over. He's going to, but not the way you expect him to. He's not going to force himself on your hand, but he's going to slowly protect you. He's going to slowly love you. He's going to slowly do these things to enter into your heart because he wants to, but he's not going to force it. That's the king's power. But I want to show you this type of power as well. I want to show you this type of power now that I can find it, because I just read it. Verse 31, when the Jews had been with Mary in the house comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Because the funny thing is, in the in a while ago, uh, Martha told Mary, hey, our teacher's here. She told them Jesus was here. And once Mar Mary heard, she ran out. Verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, 
if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Talk about internal processing. She's so late to the party. She is so late, but people are different. Mary was grieving in the house. She felt like she couldn't go to Jesus, but once she heard the teacher was here, she had the permission. And some of us are like that. Even for me, sometimes I feel like I need permission to talk to God. I've learned that, that I don't need that. But sometimes that happens to us where we need the permission. But I want you to know tonight, if you feel neglect, if you feel nervous to go to God about any type of pain you've been through, you have permission to go to his feet. When Jesus, oh, I went too far. No, I didn't. I lied. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews had come along also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Jesus is in trouble and in spirit? What? I'm going to explain in just a quick second. I didn't mean an actual second, sorry. But he said, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. The shortest scripture we will ever read, Jesus wept. This is the shortest scripture, but it is the most it's the most anointing and divine scripture ever, in my personal opinion. Because this shows me that he is not just God, but he's also man. He's not just sovereign, he's human. In this passage, Jesus is fully God, wrapped in flesh. And this showed me that before he reveals his power to me, his power, he sits with me. And he weeps with me. He's not just going to show his power to you. He's going to sit with you first. What does the scripture say? Like I said from the beginning, those who he are close with, he's close with those who are brokenhearted. And he is with those who are crushed in spirit. He's with those who are crushed in spirit. So before, and I want you to know this, before he ever shows his power to you, because that's what we want. We want God's power. We want God to do the miraculous. But what if it's better? Y'all watch this. What if it's better that he weeps with you? What if it's better? Because we want the great stuff. But what about those little moments? That's what causes the relationship with God. I don't, call, I don't have a relationship with someone that just does something miraculous for me and then I don't ever talk to him again. I don't do that. Before he reveals his power, before he's, he's the God of power, he's the king's power, he's willing to weep and sit with you. That's more of a king's power than I've ever seen, spiritually. That's the king's power, y'all. That he's God enough to resurrect, but he's also relating to me enough to weep with me. And I know this now, I know I'm never going to, I know I'm always going to weep in seasons, but now I know from this passage, I'm never going to weep alone. I'm never going to weep alone anymore because I know who's with me in the weeping season. And that's Jesus. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But then some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man but have kept this man from dying. So even people questioned Jesus' miracles. But I want to show you this before I close. I want to show you this last part. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, 
It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. And when I read that, it's like the gate is your wall. The, the walkways and the houses are you and the tomb is your heart. Some of y'all, y'all's tombs are stanky. It sounds funny. Your tombs are stinky. Your heart is not rotten by what, what not just sin and all that. that we, we've been re- made new. But maybe your heart's rotten by losses. Maybe your heart is rotten by trauma. Maybe your heart is rotten by stuff that you didn't even cause. And God, you, you knew God would have stopped it. And you asked him, where are you? But this is what Jesus says in the next scripture. As he continues, when she says, but Lord, by this time, there's a bad odor. He's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that? If you believe, you will see the glory of God. God, every time we question, God is gentle enough to come with an answer and to reassure us that if we believe, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When they had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and the cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. That's awesome. Resurrection. Yay. But I want to talk about this in a different sense before I close, a different sense. Maybe God's not, because, maybe you lost something because God wants to give you something better. Maybe God wants to give you something better than what you've lost. Because we're so keen on who we've lost, what we've lost. Maybe we've lost ourselves. God wants to give you a new heart. Something that's better. Something that's far greater because he knows your needs greater than you know your needs. He knows you far greater than you know yourself. So this means for certain that even though I don't get what I wanted back, because let me tell you something, and I want to I want to pierce this. God sometimes will not bring something back just because of your agenda. But he will give you something better that might not like the agenda of it, but it's what you need. That is the king's power. He is able, think about this, he's able to bring something completely better into your life. Something completely better. I want to end with this. A lot of times in my life, I have lost a lot. It could be some of the most littlest things, but, but my God, I've lost things. And you have lost some things too in your life. But I've learned in my walk with God, in my maturity in Christ, he has given me stuff so much better than what I first had because he knows me. He knows me. He formed me. He knows me, so he knows what I need.
So he gave me something better. I've lost relationships. I've lost friendships. I've lost things. I've been heartbroken. I've, it all, I've gone through all this stuff. But I can tell you right now, God has given me things that are better. Why? Because he knows. God is your ultimate guide. God is the ultimate. But that's the one thing I want to leave with you tonight. These three things. Number one, don't stuff your grief. Don't stuff your feelings because guess what's going to happen? It's going to kill you on the inside. Secondly, secondly, be honest with God. If you have to cuss at God, ooh, what'd you say, bro? Listen, God's grace is so big that when it's with him, you're safe. It sounds really dumb that I said that, but I want to be honest with you. You you need to bring what you have, this frustration, this junk, to God. Because if you don't, then you're going to give it to other people. And that's going to be where you sin and where you fall short. But when you bring it to God, there's no greater safe place. And number three, if you lost something, have the hope and the expectation that he's going to give you something better. When you lose something, remember that. When something leaves your life, remember that. Remember, I believe that God's going to bring something better. That, right there, y'all, is the king's power. He's powerful enough to resurrect, but he's also powerful enough to sit with us and take all the junk we have, all the junk we have, with every head bowed and every eye closed, Every head bowed and every eye closed right now. No one looking around. You've lost something. Maybe you've lost someone. Maybe you've lost something. Maybe you've lost yourself from the stuff that you've been through. The stuff that you didn't choose. There's things in your life that you've gone through that you did. You got taken advantage of. You got... You got stripped of things and you didn't ask for it and you believed God to stop it, but he never did it. I want you to go right now in this moment. I want us to go to the gate. I want us to go to the gate and I want us to talk to Jesus right now. And I want you to be bluntly honest with him because he's the only one. Because guess what? He knows what you're thinking anyway. Might as well tell him. You might as well tell someone that already knows what you're thinking. All the thoughts you're having, even in this moment, all the thoughts you're having. Give it to him. And tell him how mad you are, how broken you feel, how sad you're, you're, you're approaching this. You don't want this anymore. But we need to learn to go to him. Because if we don't, there's no hope. If we don't go, there's no, because we think we need outer healing. No, 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 We need inner healing. Because God's the only one that can do it. If that's you, I'm not making you raise your hand tonight. But I want you to be bluntly honest with God right now. God, I'm tired. God, I'm frustrated. 
God, I keep getting taken advantage of. God, I, I lost a friend. I lost a relationship. I thought I thought they loved me, but they left me. And now I'm brokenhearted. God, where were you when that happened? Be honest with him. And this is what he's going to show you. He's going to show you my child. I was always there. I let it happen, but I was always there. Because maybe it wasn't good enough and it was going to end bad. And this is for someone in here. Listen, I gave you something better. You might have not liked the method and, and, and he says, I understand it. I understand. But I want to let you know you have something better. You're going to get something better. I have the power, the Lord says, to give you something that you didn't think of, but you're going to need it. You're going to love it. I have something for you. I have something for you. Thank you, Lord. Now let's let's get in tune with our faith in this moment like Martha did. Lord, even now, Lord, even now in this moment, we know that if we respond, now that you're here in this moment, even though you weren't there in that moment, we know that you're here now. So Father, we ask and we call upon you, Lord, as we have gone through the frustration, the process of it, Father, we ask, Lord, that that you reveal your power in the way you have to, Lord. I'm tired of, I'm tired of waiting on what I need it to look like, Lord. I, I just need your power. I need your presence. I need you to sit with me when I'm broken. I need you to sit with me when I'm lonely. I need you to sit with me when I'm dying on the inside, Lord. I need you with me right here, right now, in this season of my life. The most holiest prayer you can pray, y'all, is the most honest prayer you can pray. The most anointed one is the most honest one. Because if we pray fake prayers, God God wants to talk to someone who's them authentically. So Father, we get honest in this moment. And we thank you for your grace to give us the space to communicate this. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your presence. And we thank you for listening. That you don't you don't shove encouragement down our throat like people do. That you are genuinely wanting to sit with us and talk with us. Thank you, Lord, for your almighty presence. In Jesus' name.